Welcome to Dulles. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. So as I was writing this message, I was thinking a lot about who I used to be, how I used to live, and I thought about like going through and listing some of the things that I used to be and, and how I used to live and even putting up pictures, but I was like, wait, no, that'd be way too embarrassing. And I know some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I know some of y'all have some pictures that you pray just never resurface, some memories that you push to the back of your mind, right? And that's certainly true for me. But what I do want to share about what I used to be and how I used to live is that before, and it may be hard to believe, but just hear me out, before I was the strapping young man that you see before you today, I was actually a very skinny young man. Some would say scrawny young man. And I tell you that today to get to the point that I'm getting to, and that is I was not a fighter growing up. I mean, I just wasn't a fighter that wasn't my ministry. I was more of a, you know, talk my way out of a situation kind of guy. I could talk my way out of the, with, with, with the best of them. Um, but it reminded me of a time over this past summer when we was at one of our midweek gatherings and I was doing a teaching and I was using a personal story from my life as an illustration for the teaching. And uh, <laughs> I remember telling the story about when I was on my way to Baltimore for a wedding and we stopped in Baltimore at a Dollar General for, to get a card for the bride and the groom. And I remember running in the store, I picked out the card and I'm in line waiting and while I'm in line, someone runs out of the store with a big trash bag full of stuff like th that they stole and like just takes off. And then the only cashier who was checking us out in line runs out after the person with the stuff, I guess to go get it or whatever. And I remember telling the story at our midweek gathering and I think it was Amy that looked at me and said, well, did you help? You didn't do anything? And I looked at her firmly. I said, absolutely not. <laughs> because remember, we're at Dollar General. So whatever that person left the store with, I promise you, it wasn't worth my life, right? <laughs> and like I said, Fighting is not my ministry. And, uh, <laughs> um, and despite me not being a fighter growing up and still not really being a fighter now, I do want to pick a fight today. And I want to pick a fight. Um, you know, the, the Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And I, I just believe that there's something that we need to wrestle with this morning. Ephesians 6.11, the Apostle Paul encourages us to put on the armor of Christ. So if I want to be technical, I don't want to do more than pick a fight this morning, but I want to go to battle. And what I want to go to battle with is something that I believe has wrecked relationships. It has destroyed dreams. It has stolen more hope and joy than anything else I can imagine. Um, see, I want to contend against something that I believe that hides in arrogance and condescension that is the enemy of gratitude and contentment, that is the seed that grows into all types of self-destructive behavior. See, this morning, I want to wage war on insecurity. Repeat after me. Say, it has to go. So when I think back on that experience at Dollar General uh, when those items got stolen, I noticed that the store didn't have any security. And when you go into an area where theft or crime is high, a lot of times the stores have security, and there's either an officer or security posted, and you see them right as you walked in. But this store didn't have that. And then I thought, well, what if the store's strategy for loss prevention was in line with Amy's suggestion? Like, just hear me out. What if that Dollar General expected their customers to stop things from getting stolen? Like, like, what if their strategy was based on the hope that not only a customer would see someone stealing something, but also they would feel noble enough on that day to stop the customer from stealing whatever they were stealing? Well, that would be a bad strategy, right? And it's interesting that we can see that that strategy would be terrible in business, but I find that so many of us use a similar strategy for our lives. We go to external measures to make sure our internal world is safe and secure, right? We look for external validation for 
internal security. And a lot of us do this in different ways. Some of us do it through achievement, right? We work hard, but we can't control outcomes. Then eventually when we put the work in, but we don't get the outcome that we want, we conflate the results with our personal value, and then all of a sudden our internal world is shattered and we can become insecure. Some of us look for validation through people. And you know we can people please all we want, but then eventually someone's not gonna like us or someone gives us criticism that breaks our heart and it can begin to plant seeds of insecurity in our lives. Or, Maybe we weren't liked as a kid, so we pursue popularity or recognition or respect, and then maybe we take a stand for something or have a lifestyle change, and then there aren't as many people around as there once was, or, or maybe it plays out in perfectionism. When we think if we can just get it right, if we can just do it right, if we can just behave the right way, then we'd be worthy of love and acceptance and grace. And, and not only does that create um, an internal narrative that we now have to live up to, but it also makes us hold everyone else to the standard that, that we live, live to, and now people don't feel loved and accepted in our lives. So, and I'm sure there are some people right now saying, well, this message really isn't for me because I'm confident, right? I, I might struggle with overconfidence, right? And I wanna be clear, the solution to insecurity is not confidence, right? Confidence is easy. If you want to be more confident, I can help you pretty quickly. Stack some wins on top of each other. Get competent in a particular area in your life. Deliver on promises to yourself, and then you'll be confident in a particular area in your life. But, the reason why confidence is not the solution to insecurity is because we can see so many people who are competent and confident in what they do, but insecure in who they are. So what I want to propose today is that security is an inside job, and we shouldn't be looking for anything external to feel secure in who we are and who we're called to be, because when the enemy comes to steal, just like they did at Dollar General, some of us find ourselves leaving our posts to run after what we should have never lost in the first place just like that cashier. So I want to go to the text today, and uh, I want to go to one of the first examples of insecurity and, and just examine it and see how it plays out and see what we can learn from it. I want to go to Genesis 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, and we're going to read it together. So it says, Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel's gift, but he did not accept Cain's gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields, and while they're out in the fields, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. After the Lord asked Cain, where's your brother, Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? Verse 10 says, but the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So uh, I like to do a thorough diagnosis before I give a prescription, right? So, so what I want to touch on today first is what insecurity does. What insecurity does. And we're going to look at the text and see what we can draw and what we can learn from uh, this moment in time. And the first thing I think it does is it keeps us from loving well. Security keeps us from loving well. So what we can see, obviously, in, in the story here is that Cain was struggling with jealousy. 
This is his brother who he's supposed to love and do life with, right? And I need you to see yourself in this story because maybe you have a brother or a sibling or a colleague or a friend that you know you're supposed to love and support and do life with them, but sometimes our insecurity gets in the way. Like, you know, you'll see them post about their promotion on social media, and you'll scroll past it, you won't like it, you run into them in person, they say, hey, you know, I got a promotion. You're like, no way, I had no idea. You know, you gotta act like you're not following them too closely, right? <laughs> or maybe, you know, you'll like the post or whatever, but maybe if they ask you to do something for them to help them get to the next level or something, then, then all of a sudden you think they're asking for too much or your schedule is for, maybe it's not that, but maybe, you know, your best friend now has a new best friend, and all of a sudden now that you feel your friendship is insufficient and now you start to pull away, when they ask you to hang out, you say, oh, wait, what, new besties busy, you know? See, or maybe it's not that. Maybe you bonded with someone over something that you both struggled with, and, and now that they've moved on or they've overcome that, we find ourselves being a little resentful. See, it comes in a lot of forms, but we have to know that one of the ways that insecurity keeps us from loving well is through jealousy. Another way that we can learn from Cain and Abel's story is that insecurity causes deception. So Cain lied about where his brother was, right? when God asked them, and that's probably not your story, but maybe you told your friend that you've been on the paleo diet for three weeks. And now your friend's like, wait, I could have sworn I saw your car at the Chick-fil-A drive-thru like a couple nights ago. Now you gotta come up with something, right? You know, you know my wife, women and their cravings. What? Wait a minute. So now, you know, not only have you created a web of lies that fractures your relationships, but you've also broken God's heart. Or maybe it's not an overt lie. Maybe it's deception by omission. Maybe we leave out key details of a story because to make ourselves look better. Or, or maybe, maybe someone's confiding in us about something that they've struggled with and, and we act like we haven't been through the same thing. See, because well, when, when we haven't accepted our imperfections, we feel the need to, to hide them and lie about them. Another way that insecurity keeps us from loving well is we hurt the people around us. Now, Cain hurt his brother to the point of death. Now, listen, I don't know all y'all like that, but I'm pretty sure that we don't have a similar story, right? And if you do, just don't tell anyone that you're, that, that you're with here today. Um, but you're welcome at Dulles. You know, we love everyone. But, but I, I will say that all of us are guilty of hurting the people around us due to our insecurities. And one of the main ways I want to touch on today is the way that plays out is through judgment and condescension, right? And this is important because it applies whether we vocalize it or if it's just a thought. A secure person doesn't need to talk bad about someone when they're going down the wrong path or they're failing or they're inadequate, but instead our heart breaks for them because when we judge them and talk bad about them, what we're subconsciously doing is elevating our moral ground or our intellectual standing so we feel better about ourselves. But instead, our heart should break. You know, when, when someone says something dumb, we shouldn't say, oh, that was dumb, or maybe, oh, you know, they're a terrible person for treating them like that. Our response should be, man, it breaks my heart they haven't figured that out yet. Or, you know, I can't believe they would treat someone like that. I'm going to pray for them. A little side note, it's okay to point out something that someone's doing wrong, but only if our intention is to help them or teach someone else the right way or to pray for them. So um, the first thing insecurity does to keep us, it keeps us from loving well. The second thing is that it keeps us from experiencing love. It keeps us from experiencing love. So if we go back to the text, we remember, you know, Cain says, am I my brother's guardian? After he lies to God, he then gets defensive. You ever have someone get mad at you when you're just trying to help them, 
You know, you ever, you know, maybe you ask someone, hey, how's your prayer life? And they're like, wait, hold on, wait a minute. Here's the prayer police. Wait a second. We're supposed to be sharpening each other, you know. Well, you told me you were struggling in this area. I'm just following up. Or, or maybe, you know, someone says, hey, I made a great schedule for my kids over the summer. It's helping them. You want me to share it with you? Wait, oh, now you're the perfect parent, the Pinterest parent, you know. You, but, but that wasn't the case at all. It was just sharing something. Or, or maybe it plays out in feedback. Maybe the people you love try to, try to get, uh, tell you something, but you find yourself defending yourself more than you're receiving it, and you see it as a personal attack. Here's the thing. If you're a secure person, even if you don't agree with feedback, if you're secure in who you are, you don't feel the need to, to defend yourself. You say, oh, you know, I'll consider that. Another way that uh, insecurity keeps us from experiencing love is through isolation. A quote I love, it says, you can only be loved to the measure that you are known. So if you don't let people fully know you, you can never be fully loved. You can only be partially loved because they don't know the parts of you that are hard to love. And that's why God loves us the most, because he knows us the best. But some of us isolate because we think that if people really knew us, our faults, our insecurities, our fears, then they wouldn't love or accept us. And it sounds deep, right? But it just plays out like this. I'm not going to go to that small group. I just don't feel comfortable there. That's not my crowd. Or, or I'm not going to go to this party or dinner that I'm invited to because, you know, they seem stuck up. Sometimes what we'll do is we'll act like the problems with the room when we're really just protecting ourselves from potential rejection. I'm going to let that sit a little bit. I won't get an amen on that one. So... Another way that we do this is, is self-sabotaging, right? Maybe something's good happening to us, and, and we think it's too good to be true, so we start pushing it away either consciously or subconsciously to protect ourselves from what we believe is inevitable hurt because maybe we, we believe that good things like that just don't happen to us or maybe the pattern in our life has caused us to believe that or negative self-talk when people encourage you, it can't even stick, right? Insecurity prevents us from receiving love. And then another thing it does is it keeps us from, from our calling. It keeps us from our, from our calling. And, and there are countless examples in the Bible of people who dealt with uh, insecurity or, or inadequacy uh, in relation to what God has called them to do. I mean, Moses had to lead a movement with a speech impediment. Um, God used Noah to go on a rescue mission uh, for humanity, but he was known to have way too much to, to drink. Gideon was a warrior for the Lord, but he was a coward with a temper. I mean, it goes on. You can even include Jesus on that list because remember, he was fully God, but also fully man. And in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, Lord, would you let this cup pass from me? In other words, I don't want to do this. Is there, is there another way this can happen? I don't think I can do this. But what I find interesting is that aside from Jesus and um, everyone who I listed and also countless other individuals who, um, whose lives that we see in the Bible, they actually were inadequate to do what God was calling them to do. But I want you to hear me, their inadequacy was not an adequate reason for them to be insecure. What I'm saying is you may not have enough, you may not be enough, right? But the God who's with you is enough, right? So you may not be the smartest on your job, but God still wants to use you to change the culture. You may not be an expert in your faith, but the Lord still wants you to talk to your friends and your family about Jesus. You may not be a relational expert, but God still wants to use you to restore your family. See, I don't know if there's anyone here today that knows they're inadequate but refuses to be insecure. And this is what the life of faith looks like in action, right? I'm acting on the belief that I know God is with me. I'm acting like God is telling the truth all the time, that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Somebody say, you better act like it. Come on. (laughs) 
So now that we've talked about what insecurity does, let's talk about how to live securely. Because my goal is not to just identify the insecurities in our lives, but really I want us to leave here with more security than the Secret Service. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> so um, the first thing you need to know is that the only place to look for security is in Christ. You can only find security if your identity is based on something secure, right? So how do you live securely in Christ? Well, first you have to start by being consistently in prayer, find yourself frequently in the word, make a point to stay in a community of believers, and all of a sudden you'll start to realize that you're in the presence of God and something will begin to rise up on the inside of you to tell you that you're not alone, you'll never be forsaken. In every situation, you have the right support system it's funny that um, Fiamma read John 15, 4. I love that. It says, remain in me, and I'll remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. you got to remain. you got to stay. you got to persist. you got to abide. And that's how you start to live securely in Christ. That's the foundation. So now let's get a little more practical, right? So... We have to understand that the only place to find security is in Christ. And then what we have to do, we have to identify the wound and heal it. Identify the wound and heal it. So if we go back to the text and see that, we can see that Cain had a wound, right? Cain had an experience that made him feel insecure. And what's interesting is that Cain had an experience with God who's a perfect father. So it's not necessarily something that was done to him that was wrong, but the way that he internalized it that caused him to feel those feelings of insecurity. See, insecurity is insidious. What it does is that it can forever distort our lens. So when people are trying to do or say something that actually isn't bad for you, it may be good for you, we can internalize it in a way that negatively affects us. So we have to identify the wound. Another reason we have to identify it is because the root of insecurity leads to a tree of dysfunction. If you continue to read the Genesis story, Cain goes on to build a city. And that city is rampant with corruption and violence. And one of, Cain descend, one of Cain's descendants, Lamech, actually brags about how he's more violent and more corrupt than Cain ever was. See, what we don't allow God to transform in our lives, we can transfer it onto the people around us. So we have to identify it. Um, so a little side note, I don't mean to get in your business this morning, but I'm going to get in your business a little bit. If, if Cain had an experience with God who's a perfect father that created a wound and caused him to feel insecure, there's likely that we may have had experiences with our parents, our friends, the people in our lives that have caused wounds. And if not dealt with, we can find ourselves in a similar position. So what do we have to identify the wound? Then we have to allow God to heal it. Um, and how do we do this? Well, first, we have to surrender to God. So if you want to be healed, you first have to, what does that mean? Well, you have, to, you have to want what God wants for you in this situation. So you have to want to forgive. You have to want to love the person that, that you feel like doesn't deserve love. You have to surrender it to God and, and, and allow him to do what he would do with it, even if we don't feel like that's what we want to do. Because a lot of times, resentment makes us feel powerful. We're withholding something from someone else. We feel like we have control in that situation. You first have to surrender it. So you have to... Forgive the people involved. Um, forgive ourselves. 
We have to confess it in safe community. I know uh, I love the scripture in James that says when we confess to one another, we receive healing. When we confess to God, we get forgiveness. But when we confess to one another, we get healed. Um, And a lot of times, it's it's, it's good to have professional help in this process. I know Dallas is a church that believes in that. I'm a person that believes in that. So identify the wound and allow God to heal it. The next thing we have to do is we have to remind ourselves of the truth remind ourselves of the truth. So this is important because we live in a world where people will throw labels on us, they will lie on us, they'll try to tell us who we are, what we deserve, define us by our lowest moments, right? The problem is we can wear all those labels if we're not aware of the truth and can recall it to mind and remind ourselves. So you have to believe who God says you are and you have to live from that place. So some scriptures that I love that it's always good to keep in mind is uh, Romans 8, 38 and 39. It says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future or any powers or height or depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So whenever you're feeling a, a, a feeling of like, like you aren't worthy of love or you're not loved or no one cares, you can remind yourself of the truth and live securely and safe in that. Another scripture I love is Second um, uh, Peter 1.3. It says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received this all by coming to know him, the one who has called us to himself by the means of his marvelous glory and excellence. So coming to know him, right? Getting to know the Father, all of a sudden we will understand who we are and become more secure individuals. So how do we live securely? First, we have to identify that security only comes from being in Christ and we have to identify the wound and let God, let God heal it and remind ourselves of the truth. And the last thing we have to do is accept love accept love. You can only love people to the measure that you accept it. That's why when Jesus, when he's teaching, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. There's a prerequisite there, as yourself. And how do you love yourself? Well, first you have to understand that there's a God that loves you, right? You you deserve forgiveness, accept it. You deserve grace, accept it. Um, You deserve good things. You deserve blessings, accept it. And, And once you accept that love and start to live from that place, what you'll find is you'll be a more secure person. Um, so I'm going to invite the band up. Um, and I, uh, I couldn't give a message about insecurity without sharing my, my personal story. Uh, this message is so personal to me because I would say that insecurity was the dominant emotion of my adolescence. Uh, I'm the youngest of five siblings, so when you're the youngest, you often just want to see, seem, be seen as cool or accepted by your siblings. And, and for me, that mentality I carried on into school and into life, and, um, and it worked for me, honestly. People wanted to be my friend. I, I became popular. But what I found is that the approval and acceptance of others became my true north. And the thing about having a true north that's a moving target is that all of a sudden you look up and realize that one day you're lost. For me personally, I was so lost. I didn't have any, uh, I I wasn't aware of my personal values, desires. I was doing just anything and everything to fit in. And I was chasing things and outcomes for my life that weren't really aligned with who I was. Insecurity is so dangerous in that way. It can can lead you to chase things in your life that 
you didn't really even want for yourself. And it wasn't until I was about 19 years old when I really started to know Jesus and I gradually my life began to change. I began to rest in the safety and relationship of the Father. And my identity began to strengthen. I saw my leadership in instincts develop. I got a better understanding of where I felt I was called to go in life and the constant fear of wondering what people thought of me began to dissipate. And I can now say that when I walk in a room, I'm not thinking, man, what is everyone thinking of me in this room? I'm thinking, what does this room need from me? And once I stopped caring about being seen in the room and started to serve the room, what I found is my influence grew, people respected me, doors opened for me, but most importantly, people felt loved by me. And it was, I was finally in a place where I could offer up my life to God as a, as a living sacrifice. See, what I found is that security in Christ is the road to a servant heart. And Jesus himself says that the only way to be great is to serve. So my encouragement for you today is to build your life and yourself you on a firm foundation. Allow God, who, allow who God says you are to infiltrate your heart. And he says you're loved, you're capable, you're beautiful, you have a sound mind that you were made with a purpose and on purpose that he'll never leave you or forsake you. And if you can find it in your heart to believe those words, I can promise you that you'll be living a secure life of love. And there isn't anything that can keep you anything externally that can keep you away from that. So with that being said, I'm just going to pray and then going to allow the band to close this out in a song. God, I thank you for this time and this moment. Lord, I thank you for the words that you've spoken today. And Father, I pray for anyone who is dealing with any level of insecurity that they're aware of or unaware of, Father. And Lord, I just ask that you would invade their hearts, help them to accept love, remind them of the truth, affirm who they are, Lord, so that you can release them into the world as, as servants and salt and light for you, God. So we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.